Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back and after a huge wait for fights, we have a live event. Simon Head and Chamakar Sandu previewing UFC 249. Yes, it is actually happening. It was going to be Brooklyn. It was going to be the Tachi Palace. But now it is Jacksonville, Florida. Sandu, we've had to be patient, but we are finally here. Live fights next Saturday. Absolutely. And I tell you what, when they first announced it, I thought, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. Let's get to fight week. But now that we're in fight week, I don't think there's any chance of this card or any of the other cards um, over the next kind of 10 days or so not happening. Um, I think the fact that they've got, you know, regulatory, um, you know, oversight from the state of Florida. So that's at the, at the government level, they're, they're being overseen. And, and of course, um, you know, the UFC will be taking every safety precaution um available to them uh, and as we've kind of learned in the last 24 hours that is going to include um daily covid19 testing with the swab by the way i i i don't know if you've seen the video of what the swab test actually looks like where where the swab has to go through your nostril and it kind of touch the back of your throat um that video has gone viral uh check it out google it if you if you if you want to um but yeah the fact that these fighters and staff and media are all going to have to kind of get tested like this daily, I do not envy that whatsoever. Uh, but the most important thing is, is they're going to they're going to be tested. Uh, fingers crossed, uh, no one contracts COVID nineteen, and, and, and everyone's able to kind of get through fight. We can get to fight night um, all healthy and, and in good shape. But it's it's pretty cool, Simon. I'm not going to lie. I'm now starting to feel the buzz again. Um, and uh, it's been a while. It's been uh, almost a couple of months and uh, we're back. And it's great to actually talk about not only a fight card, but an incredibly stacked event. And I can't wait to get into it with you right now. It's going to be good. I may have mentioned this on a previous pod. So if I have, I apologize in advance. You're talking about that swab test. Um, I had throat surgery uh, a year ago, two years ago. Um, and that involved not a swab. It involved a camera. Uh, an orthoscopic camera, I think, I think that's what it's called, a microscopic camera, on a little um, on a little wire, up the nose and all the way down to the back of your throat, which sounds like uh, a slightly more insane version of what they're getting with a swab test. And I had a full on, I had a full on camera crew shoved up my hooter, so I had that, I had that, um, and I had to take a picture of uh, of my vocal cords before they uh, before they sent me in and. Uh, and uh, got the deed done and uh, gave him my voice back. Um, so yeah, I'm fully aware of the, sen- the of the sensation of having something shoved that far back up. You know, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. So um, yeah, fingers crossed. Everybody comes out of the uh, the test uh, with flying colours. Everybody's good to go. And um, of course, it's not just the fighters. I believe all the all the cornermen and all the rest of it, they're all being tested as well. So. Fingers crossed, that all gets taken care of. Um, the only the only criticism I would have of, of of the UFC really is if this information had come out a bit earlier. You know, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this, 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 this. I think there'd be less less pushback on 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 how things have gone. I think now people know this stuff. I think they're a, lot, a bit more relaxed about it. I think we're certainly in a better place now than we were when they were trying to do the show. Uh, at Tachi Palace a couple of weeks ago so uh, quite a bit has changed since then we have live fights 
And that's what this show's all about. We're going to go through the entire fight card and uh, offer our take on each and every fight on this card. We'll both offer a prediction so you know who not to back. Because as you know, anyone who listens to this has listened to this show in the past knows that I'm a certified jinx. I don't know what Sandy's record's like, but given that I write for a bookmaker at times, I probably shouldn't say that. But um, yeah, my, my, my predictions aren't always the best. Although I am the current reigning MMA Junkie Picks champion from 2019. So I'll put that on record. Um, so I, I did finish out on top of the league for that. But this is all going to go wrong now because we're, we're committing this to to, uh, to to a podcast. It's a packed fight card, Sandu. So what we do, we've already uh, listed out all the fights so we, you know, we can see what we're looking at. We'll alternate the fights. Um, you go first, Sandu, start off. Um, and uh, we'll both chuck out our, our, our predictions at the end of each fight and work our way through. And uh, by the end of it, we should have a pretty stacked looking fight card and a huge list of winners for everybody to go and put their mortgage on at the end of the show. Sounds like a plan. So we're kicking off the, the prelims with Smiling Sam Alvey versus Superman Ryan Spahn or Ryan Span. Um, and, and like you said, Sai, as stacked as this entire card is, I'll probably say this is the only quote unquote filler fight. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, there aren't stakes here. You know, Sam Alvey, he's he's lost three in a row. Uh, and one would think that perhaps uh, another loss here on, on Saturday night might mean the end of his UFC run. So he's got plenty to be fighting for. Uh, meanwhile, Ryan, he's on an incredible run. He's oozing confidence. And, you know, if you go back to the last kind of like couple of years for, for Ryan Span, he secured his UFC contract by submitting Emiliano Sordi on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. That was back in 2018. Let me tell you about Emiliano Sordi, because this is a fighter I actually had a lot of interaction with last year. He went 5-0 and in the Professional Fighters League. He fought five times in a span of six or seven months, and he finished every single fight, and he won a million dollars. So to fight and beat, a, a, a fighter of that caliber to secure your spot in the UFC. Tip of the hat to Ryan Spahn. But since joining the UFC, he's kind of won three straight, and which takes his overall win streak to seven, um, with another notable win over Lil Nog, Antonio Rogerio Nogueira. So, so this is really the man in form, and and that's why I'm picking Spahn here, and, and and I think he gets it done in the distance. Who you got there, Sai? Yeah, I I think I think the problem that Alvi has is that he has this reputation as a knockout artist, but he doesn't really show much else. Um, and if you can if you can keep keep out the way of his his power, then he tends not to bring that much else to you. And I think Ryan Spann, he's 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 pretty slick on 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 the ground. I think he's. He's solid. He's 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 an up and comer, as you say. He's on he's on a good run of form, and I think he's he's definitely the pick for this fight. He's certainly the guy, certainly the guy that I'm going to go for. So we're both un, we're both in agreement on the first fight. I wonder how many of these we're going to be in agreement with, but uh, we're both picking Ryan Span to beat Sam Alvey. We'll kick off my half of the card, if you like, with a fight that I think is a sleeper sleeper fight for fight of the night. Bryce Mitchell versus Charles Rosa. Um, there's been there's been back and forth trash talk on social media. Um, 
Rose is the more seasoned guy in the UFC. He's got a mixed record. He's 3-3 three and three in the UFC. But he's operated at a higher level than Bryce Mitchell, who is unbeaten. Um, he's only had the three fights in the UFC at a lower level than, than Charles Rosa. But his last fight, Mitchell won by Twister. And you don't get many wins by Twister uh, in mixed martial arts. Um, he's one of them. I think Korean Zombie's got one. Angela Lee's got one from one championship. And uh, Bryce Mitchell's got one. So... And I'm sure there's probably one or two others that I've, 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 uh, I've, I've left out there. But Mitchell's coming into this. He's on a, a, a great run of form. Um, but Rosa is sort of goading him already on social media. I mean, Rosa turned around and said, um, I think it was an interview with um, a colleague at MMA Junkie, uh, Nolan King. Um, he said, if Mitchell goes to the floor with him, he's going to rip one of his limbs off. So, or something like he's he's gonna he's gonna tear one of his limbs off. Um, for a guy who I think Rosa's got something like eight eight career submissions, I think uh, eight submissions from twelve wins. Uh, Mitchell has got nine submissions from twelve wins. So you can see where their strengths lie. Um, Mitchell, of course, is not going to worry about any kind of trash talk. Anybody who knows Mitchell's backstory, this is a man who came off worst. Uh, in one of the most horrific accidents any man could ever imagine. Um, he had his uh, nutsacks just completely destroyed by a power drill. And um, he, he lost a lot of blood. And uh, somehow, I think they saved everything, shoved it all back in where it was supposed to go and uh, healed up. And he uh, he was responding to Rose's comment saying he's going to tear one of his limbs off. And he tweeted something saying... I've ripped my nutsack in half and almost lost my wiener. Do you think I'm going to worry about losing a limb? So I think I think we're going to get we're going to get an all out an all out war between those two. They're both slightly chippy on social media. They both love to go to the ground. And uh, if you like the scrambles on the mat, I think it's uh, it's going to be one to watch. It's a hard one to pick though, Sandu. It's a tough one to pick. The obvious pick is the guy who hasn't lost. But I'm going to go with Charles Rosa. I think he's operated at a slightly higher level. Yes, he's got those three losses on his record, but I'm going to go with the experience. I'm going to pick Charles Rosa to beat Bryce Mitchell and hand him his first career defeat. What about you? I don't like to go against undefeated fighters, uh, and I'm not going to on this occasion either. Uh, and like you said, Sai, I think if it if it goes to the ground, it's a it's a coin flip, isn't it? They're both great, um, you know, when it comes to grappling and and their submission um, abilities. So. I'm going to pick Bryce, but ever so slightly. I think he's done fantastic with the opportunities he's had in terms of, you know, winning fights in the UFC, making noise on social media. He seems to be a great interview when, when, when members of the media get a chance to speak to him. And, uh, and, and he does seem to be one of these fighters that is on the up. Uh, and if he continues to win, um, he could be one of those kind of breakthrough stars in the next year or two. Uh, so I'm just going to pick him just because I think he's a fantastic character, great personality. But in terms of technical ability and, and the actual matchup itself, it's very much a coin flip. Um, so that takes us to a fight in the welterweight division, Simon. Vicente Luque versus Nico Price. So Luque, you know, he's a really solid welterweight. But he just, for me, he, he's, he can't seem to win when he comes up against the absolute elite competition in the division. Over the course of the last five years, he's not, notched up like 10 wins against UFC competition. And that's included some fight of the night and performance of the night bonuses. But the two times he's lost, Simon, one has been against Leon Edwards 
and the other has been, and most recently has been against Stephen Thompson, right? So that tells you everything you need to know. When it comes to the top five, the top 10 of the welterweight division, this, I don't know if it's a mental thing or an ability thing, but he just can't seem to get over that hump. Now, I don't think Nico Price has <laughs> ever been involved in a boring fight, especially over the last few years. He's, he's, just, he's just been very inconsistent. Like he's he's alternating wins and losses, but he, in a very much a kill or be killed manner. So you know he's either knocking you out or he's on the receiving end of a KO himself. So you know, and and also this is actually a rematch. They have fought once before back in October of 2017, and and on that night, Luke secured a second round Darce choke submission win. Um, but with that all being said, I'm gonna pick Luke here. Um, I think he knows how to fight Price and win. Um, and really seem to do well against competition just outside of the top 10. So that's my kind of thinking behind that pick. What about you, Sai? Yeah, I think I think Vicente Luque is is one big win away from being a, a serious contender at 170. I think he's got all the tools to do it. I just think you mentioned the two defeats to, to Leon Edwards and um, Wonderboy Thompson. They're both world championship caliber athletes, those two. I mean, you know, Wonderboy's fought for the belt twice. Uh, drew drew with the the uh, the champion at the time in one of those fights, and uh, Leon has long deserved the shot at the belt, and uh, I don't know when that's going to come, but he certainly deserves it. Um, but Luke Luke hung with both guys and 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 didn't didn't do himself any any uh, disservice in either of those fights. So um, I think he's right there. I really do. I just think he needs he needs a, a marquee win just to maybe give himself that little extra bump of confidence. I think he's got all the tools to do it. Nico Price is a wild man. And against most guys at 170, I would say that he always has that outside chance of just scoring a finish out of nowhere. But from what I've seen for Luke, he's he's got a solid chin. I think he's got the grappling advantage. I think he's got the striking advantage. And uh, I think he knows how to manage a fight a little bit better than Nico Price. So... I'm going to pick Vicente Luque to get that one done, and I think he'll probably do it inside the distance. I think he'll catch Nico at some point and uh, and and get the finish midway through the fight. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. Vicente Luque takes the win at 170. That's 170, and that's going to be a wild fight. We move up to 185 pounds, where one of the biggest enigmas in mixed martial arts takes on one of the. Uh, one of the most respected guys in the in in the UFC middleweight division, Uriah Primetime Hall. I remember when he was on the Ultimate Fighter, and he that that spinning back kick on Adam Seller that everyone thought had borderline killed the guy. And Charles Sonnen sort of anointed him as, you know, this guy could fight for the belt straight out of the Ultimate Fighter house. Um, and for whatever reason, Uriah Hall's career has been sort of peaks and valleys all the way along. When he's good. He's really, really good, and he could take out virtually anybody in the world. But he has these off days where he just doesn't seem to pull the trigger. So, at his best, I think he can be a real trouble, uh, a real problem for uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, who has been around a long time. He moved up to light heavyweight, uh, fought Jan Blahovic, uh, only only lost to him by split decision. So. You know, Blahovic is right there in there for a shot at the belt at 205 right now. He's had a good run of form since that Jacare fight. But Jacare was right there or thereabouts, but age is beginning to creep up with him. Uh, he's now going back down to 185 where he feels he's at his, his optimum weight. Um, I don't know how hard that weight cut is for him now. Um, 
common sense pick here is Jacare. He's got the season, the season skills and all the rest of it. But I'm a bit of a gambling man. I, I'm wondering if Uriah Hall might be, might be in the in in the, the prime position to come out and and do something special here. Jacare is not a particularly mobile fighter. Um, he, he's not. He doesn't have a lot of lateral movement. And Uriah, that's tailor-made for someone with Uriah Hall's striking ability. So I'm going to go with Uriah Hall to get the upset win and uh, claim his ninth win in the UFC and one of the biggest of his career. Probably the biggest since he beat Gegard Mousasi. So he's my pick, Uriah Hall. Yeah, this is a, a tough one for me, actually, because like you said, Simon, Uriah Hall, much like Cowboy Cerrone, who we'll talk about a little bit later on, it all depends on which, which Uriah Hall turns up on fight night. That, that's what it comes down to. Um, I, I like the fact that Jacare is coming back down to middleweight. I, I just think that light heavyweight was, you know, you know, the weight class is just a little bit too big for him. I think if he can just manage his weight correctly, that middleweight is ideal and perfect for him. Uh, and even though he's lost a few, it's not as if he's been getting, you know, absolutely walloped and, and getting finished by a knockout or TKO or his chin's gone or something like that, right? In fact, I think he's got a pretty solid chin given how many years he's been in the fight game. Uh, so I'm actually going to pick Jacare. I, I think going back to middleweight makes a lot of sense for him, uh, especially if you can get Uriah Hall to the ground. I think that's where Hall has his biggest weakness on the ground. And obviously we know that Jacare is an absolute... You know, Viper, uh, if he can wrap you, you know, on the ground and get a hold of you, get a hold hold of a limb or get a hold of your neck, um, that'll be all she wrote. So, yeah, I'm going to pick Jacare on this one. Um, moving on uh, to the the only female fight on the card. Uh, and actually, I think it's a pretty important fight. We've got Carla Esparza versus Michelle Waterson uh, in the strawweight division. It's number six versus number seven. Uh, with the winner, in my opinion, most likely uh, inserting themselves into the top five and, and perhaps maybe a, a number one contender fight down the road. While recent form may lie with Esparza, who's kind of coming off back-to-back wins, I'm going to pick Waterson here. You know, I know that she lost to a dis- uh, to Joanna Janjacek by decision, but I think the level of competition that she's faced both in Joanna and Karolina Kowalkowicz before her uh, has just been a little bit higher than what Esparza has been facing over the last couple of years. And I think that counts for a lot. And I also feel like with Waterson, she's kind of been knocking on the door for a title shot over the last couple of years. And then the UFC um, most certainly would love to give her that opportunity. That loss to Joanna obviously put uh, a few pegs back. But I think a strong outing here, and I think she's right back in the mix, depending on who's available, who's injured, da 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 and all the rest of it. Uh, so I'm going to pick Waterson here. Uh, what about you, Sai? Yeah, in some ways, Michelle Waterson is kind of like the Michael Bisbing of the women's strawweight division. You know, she's everybody. Everybody seems to be uh, a fan of 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 uh, Michelle Waterson. She's got a great personality. Everyone loves her. She's great in interviews. She's got a family with her. She's trained by her husband. She's got a daughter in her corner. It's it's great, and she's she's a phenomenal fighter. And just like Bisbing used to be, she gets to the that that one fight that can carry her that that final step and it just didn't quite work out for her and you know i think she's more than good enough to earn herself a shot at the belt i think it's just one of those on the night things and she was she you know she was second best against Joanny and Jacek no shame in that um but i do think she is a class above Carla Esparza i think Esparza is good she's the inaugural champion at 115 um and she has rounded out her game quite a bit since those early days, I mean, 
most people, I think, when they think of Carla Esparza now, they probably think of Ioanni and Jacek just absolutely dismantling her to take the belt in one of the most one-sided title fights we've seen uh, in many, many years. Um, Esparza's better than that. She's, she's, she's come back. She's rounded out her game. Her striking still isn't phenomenal, but it certainly is better. And that then opens up uh, the options for her wrestling. But... Um, yeah, I can't. I can't pick against Michelle Waterson here. I think she's got all the skills to to keep the fight standing and to light up Esparza with strikes. And she'll either win it on the point by on, on points, or she'll get a late stoppage. So that's that's the straw weights. We're going from the lightest weight class on the card to the heaviest weight class on the card. The big boys, Alexei Olenek versus Fabricio Verdum, two of the best grapplers to ever set foot. Or two of the best heavyweight grapplers, should I say, to ever set foot in uh, in into the UFC octagon. Um, Alexia Lenik has had what am I looking at here? Seventy-two career fights, something stupid like that. Insane, absolutely insane. And uh, Fabricio Verdum has been around the block a fair few times himself, um, but we haven't seen him in a long time. You know, the last, you know, he was bouncing back from losing his belt. Um, was beginning to get himself back into things and then failed a drug test and has been out of things as a result of an anti-doping suspension. Uh, Alexei Olenek is as tough as old boots. Um, he's got that Ezekiel choke that can finish almost anybody. Um, so I'm really interested to see how this one goes. Um, I watched Alexei Olenek, uh, was it last time I was in Vegas? Was it 246 um, or 245? It's one of those two shows. And... Uh, there was talk about him facing Vadum during the post-fight there, um, and he kind of played it down. But it's a matchup that I think was booked before. Um, it's a tough one to call. I mean, I think you've got to go Vadum, right? He's got the he's got the season the seasoned uh, experience when it comes to fighting at the elite level. You look at the guys that Fabricio Vadum has shared the cage with and who he's beaten. When he was champion, people were talking about him as being the number one heavyweight of all time because he'd been in there with and beaten all these other guys. Alexi Olenek hasn't been at that level, but he's, he's been around for a long, long time. Um, the only thing that I think gives Olenek a real chance is, is uh, sharpness because we haven't seen Vadum for so long, but I fancy Fabricio to get this one done. I don't think it's going to be a particularly interesting fight. If I'm honest with you, I think it could be a little bit of a slow plod, uh, a slow plodder of a fight. I expect it's going to go the distance. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think it might be one of those where we're kind of glad the crowd isn't there because I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of fireworks in that one unless it turns into a grappling fest. But I don't know. I don't know. I think I think it could be Vadum just jabbing Lenick for three rounds en route to a decision. That's my pick. Yeah, I'm picking Vadum here as well, Si. And, and like I said, I mean, on the ground, they're pretty much equal. They're, they're fantastic. I mean, you'll probably want to give Vadum the edge on the ground as well. Uh, but it's... On their feet, standing, striking, where Vadum has really been able to evolve throughout his career. And I actually think that of all the weight classes, perhaps heavyweight is the one where timeout doesn't necessarily uh, play as big of a factor, say, as uh, you know, in comparison to the lower weight classes, where you know you may lose speed and you know a bit of quickness and a bit of sharpness. You know, Fabrizio Vadum and Alexio, like you said, they're going to be plodding around. So it's going to come down to power, technique, and I guess octagon generalship. Which you know, they both got tons of experience, but Vadum's been 
to the top of the mountain. He's been a UFC champion. He knows how to get it done. And um, and also think, you know, look, when Vadum was initially suspended, he was asking the UFC to let him go. He was like, look, if I'm not going to be able to fight here, I'll go fight elsewhere. So I'm wondering where he's at mentally. I'm wondering where he's at in terms of managing his career. Um, if he still wants to leave the UFC, then perhaps this is a showcase fight for him. And maybe he wants to put on a good show to put himself in the, the shop window, so to speak. Um, uh, or perhaps now that he's back and you know he's looking at the landscape, maybe he's thinking, all right, look, you know, the UFC is probably one of the few organizations that's still going to be around during the next you know, year or so at the very least due to the pandemic. And uh, this is probably my chance to kind of get back into the mix. And, and look, if you look at the, the heavyweight division, Vadum still has a chance against every single fighter. You, you, there's no fighter in the top five, top ten that you could say is going to absolutely one-sided destroy Vadum because he is so well-rounded and he's got so much experience. Uh, like you said, Simon, the only thing against him right now is that time away from the from the cage itself, which I don't personally think will play too much of a, a factor, but we'll see if I'm right or wrong. Uh, but ultimately, I'm picking Vadum in that one. And this is where you start to rub your hands, Simon. On an incredibly stacked card, this is where, for me anyway, business really starts to pick up. We move on to the featured prelim. It's Donald Cerrone versus Anthony Pettis in the welterweight division. Two of the biggest names in the sport. Cowboy versus Showtime. First things first, this is a rematch. Uh, If people don't remember or anyone that's new to the sport... They fought back in uh, January of 2013, so it's been seven years. Uh, on that night, you know, Pettis, you know, he, he got the job done. You know, he, he finished Cowboy Cerrone with a nice liver kick to the body. And, and when you fast forward seven years, you know, while Pettis may have lived up to his potential, you know, he became a UFC champion, Cerrone, time and time again, he just kind of failed to show up and kind of big the, the big one. Obviously, the most recent example of that is the, the Conor McGregor fight back in January. And, and he spoke to Brett Okamoto and he did a few of the interviews uh, this week, basically saying, hey, look, you know, Donald was there, but Cowboy didn't show up. Right. So it's, it's interesting, you know, with Cerrone, you know, like Uriah Hall, we were talking about earlier on. It depends on which which guy shows up on the night and whether he can start to fire on all cylinders uh, quickly enough. You know, and look. Pettis hasn't exactly been consistent in recent years either, which is why I actually think this is great matchmaking. They're both in the latter parts of their respective careers, and, and just they just want big fights and to make as much money as possible. Um, it's ultimately for me going to be a question of who still has enough kind of gas left in the tank. You know, Cerrone mentioned that he'd signed a new contract prior to the Connor fight in January, so he's set for a while, uh, I'd imagine. Whereas Anthony, I feel like he's going to try and use this fight and kind of put himself in the shop window. Now, whether that's signing a new deal with the UFC uh, and proving to everyone that he still belongs here, or whether it's fighting out his contract and maybe exploring free agency. Remember, his brother, Sergio Pettis, uh, did the same thing, fought out his contract and signed with Bellator last year. So that's something to monitor and follow in the aftermath of this one, depending on who wins. But... I think if Pettis can just start fast and not allow Cerrone to settle, 
then this should be a fairly straightforward win for him. If Cerrone sees a second and third round, then he's got a shout, absolutely. Both men have been so inconsistent, though, over the last couple of years. I actually think it's really difficult to make a pick in this one with absolute confidence. So I'm going to lean towards the younger of the two in Pettis, who holds a victory over Cerrone, knows how to get the job done, and is perhaps fighting for what may be or what might be the last major contract of his career. So that's my thinking. I'm picking Pettis in this one, Si. What about you? Yeah, I think uh, I think Pettis is the guy who he's actually been there and done it. You know that that win over Cerrone first time round got him the title shot against Benson Henderson, which he then won, armbarred Benson Henderson, and became the UFC lightweight champion. Um, but yeah, I think as you say, they've both been plagued with inconsistencies. But I mean, if you take a look at just uh, at uh, uh, Anthony Pettis's losses, Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier, Tony Ferguson, Nate Diaz. And most recently, uh, Diego Ferreira. But before Diego Ferreira, and, and Diego Ferreira is on an absolute tear right now. He's he's in the best form of his life. But leave him off the list for a second. Those previous four, they're all world championship, or you know, they're they're all A grade caliber athletes who are capable of throwing down with anybody on the planet in their weight class. So, um, you know, all of those, all of those are, you know, obviously their losses on his record, but. I don't think there's too much there's too much shame in those. But you look at the wins. He finished he submitted Michael Chiesa, who's a who's a submission wizard. He knocked out Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who is a striking specialist. You know, he knocked him out with an incredible Superman punch. Um he's still got it. He has still got it, Anthony Showtime Pettis. And I think, as you say, the you know, the motivation factor I think probably is in his favour. I'm I'm definitely going with uh, with Pettis to win this, but from a betting perspective, this is one that I would steer well clear of because they've both been in in situations where you would expect them to do better, and sometimes they haven't. So, um, you know, if, if if Cerrone comes in like a man possessed, he could quite easily win this fight. If Pettis comes in on form, he could quite easily win this fight. So, um, it's a tough one, but I'm going to go with Showtime. He would be my pick. Um, but that's going to be a lot of fun for as long as it lasts. And it tees up the... It's the perfect appetizer for the pay-per-view card. And um, we're going fireworks straight out the gate on the, on the main card. We're going for two heavy-handed heavyweights. Uh, Jorgen De Castro versus Greg Hardy. Now, Greg Hardy, I think anybody who's an MMA fan will know all about his story. You know, he's very controversial how, how he came to be in the UFC. Initially, a... Uh, a very successful player in the NFL, pro bowler for the NFL, in in the NFL, um, had out of the cage issues, or, or sorry, away away from the field issues, took himself away. Now he's in the UFC, and uh, he's looking to rebuild his career as an athlete. He's two and two in the UFC. He's he's, he's had a bit of a stuttering start, but his attitude towards the sport, regardless of what came before, his attitude towards the sport seems to be absolutely spot on. Um, he's with American top team, which I think is the best place for any aspiring fighter to be. You know, they've got all the facilities, all the training partners you would need. And, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm expecting to see a pretty highly evolved version of Greg Hardy in this fight, but you cannot sleep on Jorgen De Castro, Sandu, because Jorgen De Castro, he's only had the one fight in the UFC. Uh, he won, he, he won his way into the UFC via, via the contender series. And uh, 
I remember watching that fight. It was an absolutely crushing, crushing victory on that first first round stoppage against a guy who was highly fancied and unbeaten as well. Um, you think it's Justin Taffer, um, who is a heavy handed, heavy handed fighter himself, knocks him out viciously in the first round. So if Greg Hardy stands still in front of Jorgen de Castro, um, it might not go very well for him. So I'm expecting Hardy to mix things up a little bit. Um, maybe showcase a little bit of wrestling, which we maybe haven't seen that much of from him. That would be a smart play. Um, so I'm interested to see what Greg Hardy we get. And for that reason, I'm siding with him, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if it went the other way because De Castro has some serious, serious punch power. And he's the mad titan, Sandu. He's the mad, he's the mad titan. You know, it's like having Thanos up against you in 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 the cage. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm picking I'm picking Hardy because I think I think we're going to see a few more wrinkles to his game this time round. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's always difficult to make a pick between fighters who have only got like six or seven fights on their record because you just haven't seen enough. And you know, with with both guys coming through the contender series, you know that Dana White is trying to put them on a platform where he can showcase them, and that's why they've got this main card spot. Um, and I agree with you with Greg Hardy. Fantastic uh, situation with uh, with training out of American top team and and the fact that he's based in Florida himself has probably um, made the 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 opportunity to, to fight on this card in Jacksonville a little bit easier uh, both for him and the UFC. I'm going to pick Greg Hardy uh, just because I feel like, you know, he is the uh, the superior overall athlete uh, just given his background coming coming from the NFL and what have you. And uh, I'll tell you something else, Simon. He might be the biggest benefactor of no fans in attendance because so far in his UFC career like he has been getting lambasted and just booed out the building um, which is kind of a weird atmosphere when he's been fighting on these pay-per-view main cards and, and televised ESPN main cards so he's got a, a big spotlight on him but I think the fact that there's no fans hopefully might help him a just focus on on the job at hand the task at hand in terms of fighting and winning uh and if he continues to fight during this you know next you know 12 month period with no fans in attendance who knows maybe he's able to to win some fans who are just kind of viewing him as the fighter not taking into consideration any of the other baggage that he's kind of brought along with him or who knows maybe he likes to be the villain and maybe he thrives on the fact that fans boo him who knows um but yeah in in any case i'm picking greg hardy here just because i feel like he's the overall superior athlete and is probably going to be able to put together everything you need to win at heavyweight mma a little bit better than jorgen de castro so that brings us on to Calvin Qatar versus Jeremy Stevens in the featherweight division, Simon. And this is guaranteed fireworks. It's going to be an absolute banger, mate. Outside of the main event, Qatar versus Stevens is violence personified. Now, on paper, it might seem as though this, this is a slam dunk pick for Qatar because, you know, he's only lost a couple of fights in the UFC. Uh, and that's been to Zabit Magomed Sheremov who's like this young phenom, and Hinato Moicano. Whereas Stevens, he, he's been on a stretch of losses now that extends to a three-fight skid. But just look at the names. Zabit Magomed Sheremov as well, Yair Rodriguez, and Jose Aldo. All big names, all top of the food chain in a shark tank of a division. So 
I'm really torn on this one, I'm not gonna lie, because I genuinely feel like this is another coin flip, but gun to my head, I'm gonna pick Qatar here. You know, while similar in age to Stevens, I just feel as though he hasn't been as in as many wars, and sooner or later, I feel as though that does tend to play a part when you think about career management. You know, his last three wins have also come by knockout, so at some point, I think he's gonna test Stevens' chin, uh, and when he does, I think he's going to stop him. Um, but let me just say, again, I am not 100% confident on this pick whatsoever. So don't take my word for it and put money down because Sandu said so. This is really one that could go either way. It might honestly just come down to who lands first and can put together you know, a combination or, uh, and flurry of strikes to get the job done. But two absolute savages. You're definitely going to get your money's worth here, Simon. Who you got? Yeah, this is definitely not a pee break fight, is it? This one, this is this is going to be, this is going to be an absolute war from start to finish. I've got Calvin Cater to win this. I think what he, although he lost against Zabit Magomed Sharapov, if that was a five round fight, I think Calvin Cater would have won that fight. He was he was the one coming on strong at the end of that fight. I think Zabit started better um, and uh, had those first two rounds in the bank. And then Cater just came back at him. And uh, if that had had two more rounds, I have no doubt in my mind that um, we would have seen Zabit getting beaten on uh, on home soil in Russia. But as it happened, uh, he ended up taking away the uh, the unanimous decision. Cater, I think, is excellent. I think he's 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 solid everywhere. And uh, Jeremy Stevens. I mean, you look at Jeremy Stevens's record, and uh, especially if you look at his UFC record, you go. Well, he's just about a 50-50 fighter in the UFC, but that does not do the man justice at all. Um, I've been I've been octagon side to witness this man fight, and my goodness me, that I can't think of too many more intense fighters um, that I've actually witnessed live. Um, I remember watching him against Dennis Bermudez at UFC 189 on an amazing card of fights, um, and he knocked out Dennis Bermudez with a with a with a flying knee. And uh, it was after an absolutely insane back and forth war. So Stevens has got the power to turn out anybody's lights at 145. But I think getting into a position to land it is 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 the crucial thing here. And I think I think Cater might be a little bit too smart for him. Um, and I think he's he's a man who hasn't yet reached his peak. I think Stevens maybe may have had his. So uh, I'm going to go with Kelvin Cater to get it done. I think Stevens is tough enough to go the distance over three rounds, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go for that one on the scorecards. But Cater gets that one done. You think there's gonna be fireworks at that one, Sandu? My goodness me, heavyweights back in the cage after that. Francis Ngannou, Jairzinho Rosenstreich. Um, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna say this now, and then we can all laugh at me afterwards because I did this before when I talked about uh, Ngannou versus Derek Lewis. And I said, there is absolutely no way the judges are going to be needed for this. And of course, they went out there and laid an egg in the T-Mobile arena. It was an absolute stinker of a fight. This is not going to be a stinker of a fight. This is going to be... I don't think it's going to last very long, Sandu. I honestly don't think it's going to get out of the first round. Um, because both guys are just so powerful. Josinho Rosenstreich, I think, might be the better striker. Francis Ngannou is the more powerful striker, and I think he has the reach advantage. And I think that will be the deciding factor here. I think I think if he can if he can land clean on Rosenstroke, then I think Ngannou will win. If Rosenstroke gets inside, then I think Ngannou could find out 
what it feels like to get KO'd. Um, I really do. It's that close of a fight, and it's going to be all about range. If it stays at range, it's Francis. If it gets closer, um, I mean, Rosenstruck can use his kicks as well. Look out for those. But I'm going to go with. I can't back against Big Francis. He's 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 too intimidating, and I'm I'm likely to run into him at some point in the next year. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick him. Um, but it's going to be. I as I, I really can't see how this gets out the first round. If they're landing punches on each other in the first five minutes, someone's going to get knocked out, and I think Francis is going to win it. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean. This one's got me smiling from ear to ear, Simon. The Predator against Biggie Boy. And you can make a very strong argument and case that the winner of this fight is the number one contender in the heavyweight division and should go on, hopefully, to fight the winner of Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier. And hopefully those guys can get it on uh, in the summer or, or the autumn. But, man... You talk about a, a, another fight. I mean, this is a stacked card, but another fight that's going to guarantee your your money's worth and guarantee entertainment, guarantee a knockout. This is the one. I mean, you know, on the one hand, you've got Rosenstroke, who's basically been almost like one of the breakthrough stars, especially over the kind of like last 12 to 18 months. This guy, he's come into the UFC. He's undefeated. Uh, he's 10-0 and 0 now. And he kind of got that highlight reel knockout marquee win over Alistair Overeem and we all remember Alistair's Overeem's lip was kind of split in two and hanging off his face although the plastic surgeon did an absolute bang up job of, of putting that together but Francis Ngannou I mean you talk about a guy that you know was literally on this rocket ship to the UFC championship I was there in Boston when he fought Stipe Miocic. And that first round between Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic is, was one of the most exhilarating rounds of, of heavyweight MMA I have ever seen and been lucky and privileged enough to be witness to sitting cage side. And it ultimately didn't go his way that night. And then, like you said, he laid an absolute egg with Derek Lewis. But he's turned things around. He gets a TKO win against Curtis Blades. He gets a knockout victory over Cain Velasquez, an absolute all-time great UFC heavyweight champion. And then he goes and defeats and finishes Junior Dos Santos, another all-time great heavyweight champion. So I think Francis Ngannou has been able to evolve and change and figure out where things went wrong when he had that first title opportunity against Stipe Miocic. He seems to look better. Um, I think, you know, even though he's like obviously a big man, uh, especially for the heavyweight division, um, if I remember correctly, he's he's dropped down a little bit in terms of weight. So I think he's kind of trimmed the fat, making, making him perhaps a little bit more agile, worked on his strength and conditioning, making sure that when he, when he gets another title fight, he can go the five rounds because I think that was the one thing that was playing against him when he fought Stipe the first time around is after that first round, he just completely gassed out. He just couldn't go and Stipe kind of had his way with him for rounds two, three, four and five. I'm going to pick Francis Ngannou as well, Simon, in this one. Um, I think he's just been around the UFC a little bit longer than you know Jarzinho Rosenstruck, even though Rosenstruck, who's got this incredible combat sports career, he's got like 70 or 80 kickboxing fights under his belt. Um, and, you know, like I said, you know, earlier in the, the card, I normally don't pick against an undefeated fighter, but I'm going to make that exception on this one. Again, it can go either way. 
Uh, you've got two heavy hitters. I feel like this is almost like a classic Western shootout where it's going to come, the, the old gunslingers, and it's going to come down to who can, you know, land first. And, and that's essentially going to be the, the, the man that wins this fight. But um, but I'm going to pick Ngannou on that one. And then we have our first of two title fights, Simon. We've got Henry Cejudo versus Dominic Cruz for the UFC Bantamweight Championship. Let's start with Cejudo here, Simon, first of all. This guy defeats Demetrius Johnson for the flyweight title. He then defends the title against in you know to 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 you know to be blatant and blunt about it, a juiced up TJ Dillashaw. And then he finishes Marlon Moraes to win the, the vacant bantamweight title to make him a, a two-weight champion. Once he did that, what's he been doing? So he's been chasing this Jose Aldo fight, right? And he even said earlier on today that he was willing to marry Jose Aldo to get him over these apparent visa issues that Aldo's facing to get him into the States. And, and, and now out of the blue, we've got this Dominic Cruz fight that essentially emerged out of nowhere. It's, it's a fight that we weren't expecting at all. And then meanwhile, you've got worthy contenders in, at 135 pounds in Corey Sandhagen, Peter Yarn, Aljamain Sterling, all kind of wondering when they'll be getting their shot, right? And then you've got Dominic Cruz. You've got Dominic Cruz who returns on Saturday in a five-round title fight and he'll be coming off the longest layoff of his career. It'll be his first fight in almost three and a half years. And of course, we all you know, remember him dropping the title to Cody Garbrandt back at UFC 207. But Cruz has only lost two fights in his entire career. That one to Cody... And then prior to that, you'd have to go all the way back to the WEC days when he lost to Uriah Faber. And that, to be honest, was when Cruz was still kind of on the come up and still figuring out his overall MMA game. And at that point, Faber had been around for a while anyway. So this is a man that is used to winning his entire career. And, and even when he loses, he's able to, to mentally take it on the chin and then come out strong on the other end. And he's proven once before that he isn't necessarily prone to, to ring rust or cage rust, and that doesn't exist in his world. But this time around, he's coming up against an in-form, in-his-prime, two-weight champion who himself is very much used to winning his entire career, going back to his achievements uh, at the Olympics winning gold. So for me... This is a very much straightforward pick. You have to pick Cejudo. And I don't see how you can actually pick against him. But if anyone is able to defy the odds, and if there is anyone who is mentally tough enough to make a comeback like this and win the UFC Championship once again, it's Dominic Cruz. And I tell you what, Simon, if he's able to pull it off, I think it'd have to go down as not only his biggest achievement of his career, but I think that would then definitely solidify him once and for all without any debate as the greatest bantamweight of all time. I'm looking forward to it. That's my take on things. That's the background and the backstory and the lead up to how this fight got put together. I'm picking Cejudo. How do you see this one going down, Si? Yeah, this is, this is, this is a great matchup. I mean, just, just from the get-go... I love Dominic Cruz. I have all the respect in the world for everything that he's done in the sport. He should not be in this title fight right here, right now. My opinion. 
that that should be Aljamain Sterling or it should be Peter Young, right? You talked about Henry Cejudo said he wants to marry Jose Aldo uh, so he could get him in to face a title fight. Shout out to Adam Hunter, who tweeted um, just early this evening saying Cejudo said he'd marry Jose Aldo, but he still won't engage um, with the... <laughs> With Aljamain Sterling, so so it's it's dead it's dead right. I mean, Cejudo is on some sort of legends tour. He's taking on people who aren't aren't at the front of the queue right now. Dominic Cruz gets a pass. I don't think he can be directly criticised or anything. You know, he's a legend of the sport. As you say, he's only lost a couple of times, but he hasn't fought in ages since he since his last fight. The division has has moved on a lot. Um. Aljamain Sterling has moved his way up. He deserves a title shot. Peter Yan, I think, is the most dangerous threat to the bantamweight title right now. Um, Henry Cejudo, apparently on a conference call today, said that he absolutely sucked, right? Now, that's shades of Charles Sonnen talking about Anderson Silva, but that that is just ludicrous to me. Henry Cejudo, the fighter, is outstanding. He's evolved, and uh, his performance... Against Marlon Marais, I think, said everything you need to know about Henry Cejudo. He was getting pieced up in that fight by Marlon Marais. Marais was absolutely taking him apart. Leg kicks, following up with big, powerful shots. And Cejudo had no answer to him. And he went back to the corner um, and they basically re just, just reset him in the corner. And he came out, he changed his game plan and he won the fight. And that shows that a guy who was on the way to losing his belt, or, or well, no, if, sorry, it wasn't. It, it, it was a fight for the vacant title, wasn't it? So um, he was on the way to losing a title fight. Um, he was able mid-fight to basically recalibrate himself, completely change his game plan, go back out and win the fight. And I think that is going to be crucial against Dom Cruz. Dom Cruz is going to throw all sorts of looks at him. And uh, but the one thing I don't think Dom Cruz can do to Henry Cejudo is finish him. Um, I'm not convinced he can finish Henry Cejudo. I do think Henry Cejudo can finish Dom Cruz. Cejudo has proven himself um, over the last few fights that he's more than capable of coming up against adversity and winning. So you've got to pick the guy with a hot hand, and that's Henry Cejudo. Plus, Dom Cruz hasn't fought in forever. Um, he says ring rust doesn't doesn't exist. Um, but against someone like Cejudo, I think you need to be active and informed coming in. So, yeah, Cejudo gets my nod. So it's going to be Anne Still in that co-main event. And we're going to hear Anne New in the main event because we're going to crown a new UFC interim lightweight champion of the world. Of course, it was going to be Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson. We all know the backstory to that. They've booked it five times. They've lost it five times. So now we've got Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. Um... Probably the most insane lightweight fight you could book right now in the UFC. If you said, if someone turned around to me and said, okay, 155 pound fight, pick the two most violent people you can find and stick them in the cage. Who would they, who would those two people be? It'd be these two. Tony Ferguson, it's it's done the rounds on social media. Tony Ferguson doesn't just beat people. Tony Ferguson slices them up. You know, they look like they've been through a threshing machine by the time they've come out of a fight with Tony Ferguson. Everybody looks an absolute mess when they've been in a cage with El Kukui. And then you've got Justin Gaethje, who just has absolutely no concerns about standing in front of people, walking through shots. 
He's got outstanding wrestling, but never uses it. <laughs> um, if he ever did, I think he'd be almost unstoppable. But he doesn't. He likes to just walk through stuff. And he's, his leg kicks are probably the best leg kicks at 155 pounds. So look out for those. And he's got heavy hands and can finish a fight. Um, both of these guys can take a lot of punishment. Um, and, the, and, and they put themselves in dangerous positions. That's what makes this fight so hard to pick. Because I think on paper, Tony Ferguson is the pick. I think. And he's who I've picked for my staff picks on MMA Junkie. I think he's the natural guy to pick. He's on a long unbeaten run. He's been in there with a who's who and he's beaten them all. Um, Justin Gaethje uh, has shown himself to be fallible in, in the octagon. He puts on incredible fights, but the nature of his fighting style means it's it's uh, it's sort of shit or bust, isn't it? He's either going to he's either going to win spectacularly or he's going to get himself beat up. And I think against someone like Tony Ferguson, I think he may get himself beat up. So unless he can somehow find uh, Ferguson's chin, I think it could be a long, painful night for Justin Gaethje. Um, and coming in on short notice, I think is even more of a problem for him. Granted, he's with with the fight being put back, he's had an extra couple of weeks. But you got to think, I mean, Tony Ferguson's been in camp for a long time. Um, he's going to be razor sharp. And uh, he's going to be looking to make a real statement here. So uh, my money's on Tony Ferguson. And uh, f hopefully, finally, we will get to see Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov for the uh, the undisputed belt later this year. But Ferguson gets my pick in the main event. Sandu, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm picking Ferguson here. I was going to pick him against Justin Gaethje the first time around when it was initially booked. And I'm picking him here again. Um Although I said, I tell you what, I'll give Gaethje a better chance of beating Ferguson now than a couple of weeks back because he's been able to actually put together a camp, a proper camp, instead of just fighting Tony Ferguson in two weeks' notice. So Gaethje's stock has definitely, the likelihood of him potentially winning has definitely arisen. I tell you what, Simon, while we've been recording this podcast, the UFC have been holding this you know, tentative media day in terms of you know, PR calls and this is a great line from Justin Gaethje who essentially said he's looking forward to having his nose broken because it's he's apparently had some breathing problems through his nose uh, which go back to his wrestling days but he's looking forward to having his nose broken uh, because then he can't worry about it because then the UFC would have to pay to get it fixed. So, so that tells you everything you need to know about Justin Gaethje and his mindset. And in terms of going into this fight, like, I mean, this fight, you're going to get your money's worth. It's guaranteed fireworks. It's it's going to be a war. All of those cliched lines um, that have been used in the past to promote fights. Uh, and sometimes you get, you know, what you, you know what it says on the tin. Uh, sometimes fights, you know, lay an egg. This one is going to deliver. I think anyone that's been covering this sport or been involved in this sport or even just if you've been watching this sport as a fan... Uh, for a long time you just know you just know that both these guys are going to come in and they're going to scrap and they're going to throw down and we're going to find out uh, who's got the, the the mental fortitude to last out what the other you know man is willing to dish out um, so I think this is a tailor-made fight for Tony Ferguson because I think he he excels in the chaos and Justin Gaethje is going to definitely bring 
the chaos into this fight. But I think Tony Ferguson, whether it's on the ground, whether it's standing, whether it goes a distance, I think he'll just be a little bit more active uh, than Gaethje. And who knows if Gaethje's even been able to put together a program in the short amount of time um, that will help him see himself through rounds four and rounds five, those championship rounds, whereas Ferguson's been, I think, on a three-month camp, going from fight to fight to opponent to opponent to a different date. Um, so, and, and, and I also have to feel for Gaethje here, because I feel like the whole MMA community is almost willing Tony Ferguson to win just because everyone finally wants to see Tony versus Khabib. But I tell you what, even if Justin Gaethje wins and goes on to fight Khabib later on this year, I don't care if Tony Ferguson is altering between wins and losses for the next couple of years. I still want to see the fight with Khabib before it's all said and done. Because I just think stylistically, it's a fantastic matchup. Uh, and also, they've essentially been the two best welterweights of their generation. You could pretty much argue that. Um, so, But yeah, I'm picking Tony Ferguson to win. And uh, even just talking about every fight on this card like i'm pumped i'm really excited i'm really you know fired up to actually finally watch and sit down and, and watch a, a whole card full of not just any old fights not just you know sometimes there's a fight card where you're really just looking forward to the main event or maybe the main event the co-main event and maybe there's like a, a, a standout fight on the prelims this one from essentially from top to bottom is a fantastic card and uh I can't wait to see, you know, what the, the venue looks like, what the production looks like, what fight night looks like. You're going to have all three commentators on, on different sides of the octagon, you know, practicing social distancing. So it's it's definitely going to look very different to a typical broadcast, especially when you factor in no fans and all the rest of it. But uh, I'm excited to see how this all looks and I'm excited to see how these fights play out. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely, absolutely pumped for it. It's... Uh... It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one. Interesting point. Um, you know, you know, you're talking about Gaethje, whether he can put a good camp together. Um, Trevor Whitman's gonna be in his corner, and Trevor Whitman is is one of my favourite coaches. I love I love listening to him talk about MMA. I think he's he's one of the top striking coaches in the sport. Um, Gaethje will be ready. I have no doubt Gaethje will be ready. And I think while I agree with what you're saying about, I think a lot of people would love to see Ferguson win because we finally want to see. This, uh, this 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 matchup with Khabib fulfilled. I think there'll be an awful lot of goodwill towards Justin Gaethje if he if he gets this one done because he's. I think all fighters have some degree of ego, but Justin Gaethje doesn't seem to have that much of one. He's pretty he's pretty what you see is what you get, and um, I think people respect him. I think they respect the way he goes in there and fights. Um, and uh, this is a guy who wouldn't take short notice fights. You know, he, he would not take a short notice fight. And he said if it, if it had been offered Khabib in this situation, he would have turned it down. Um, but he's taken Tony because he thinks he can beat Tony on short notice. So I like that. I like that. So um, it's going to be a hell of an event. That's going to be Saturday night. Uh, early prelims on UFC Fight Pass here in the UK. And then it'll be BT Sport all the way uh, from, I think it's the first three fights. Um Alvy Mitchell and Luke, um, and then from the Uriah Hall fight onwards, it's all on BT Sport, I think, um, and uh, all the way through to Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje, huge event, and then we've got another one on Wednesday. We'll be back to talk about that in the week, and then we've got one the following Saturday, and we'll talk about that as well. 
But we can't we can't leave uh, the microphone this week, Sandu, without a piece of news that obviously we're all looking at MMA, but I am Mike Tyson. My goodness me! <laughs> Any, I'm sure loads of you out there saw the uh, the video. Uh, the video clip is literally only probably like five, six, seven seconds, but it's five, six, seven seconds that would kill most human beings. I think um, Tyson on the he's 53 years of age. And he was hitting the mitts with Rafael Cordero. And my God, Sandu, that guy, he he's not lost a hell of a lot of speed. And he doesn't seem to have lost a lot of power. I don't know how lot, I don't know how many rounds he'll last. But I don't know. I can't think of too many people who'll stand in front of him throwing shots like that um, and still be standing at the end of it. That was pretty, pretty remarkable to see. Yeah, there have been some interesting things that have come out of quarantine. But if you told me that during this kind of period of lockdown, we would see a clip of Iron Mike Tyson hitting mitts go absolutely mental on social media. It went viral all throughout the weekend. It got, you know, old school fans excited. It got, you know, new school fans who perhaps don't remember Mike Tyson or too, too young to see him, you know, fight in his prime excited. Like you said, he's 53 years of, of age and, you know, the kind of, this, this most recent chapter in his life, it feels like he's got everything together. You know, he's uh, apparently got uh, a CBD business up and running. Um, he seems to be um, mentally, emotionally, financially uh, all in a good place. He's got this uh, podcast, uh, Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson, uh, that seems to be doing really, really well. He's getting some absolute A-list um, celebrities on there, uh, which has produced some interesting bites over the last couple of months as well. But... This has produced some questions, Simon. I have to say, you know, you've got, you've got media, you've got, you've got media, you've got fans, all wondering, well, what does this mean? And there was a, a few images that popped up of, of, of Tyson, like September of last year versus May of this year, a more recent pick. And it's night and day. Clearly, Mike Tyson has got back in shape. Is he in fight shape? That remains to be seen, but he's definitely in shape. Now, that starts to kind of make your, your brain tick in terms of, well, what's going on? You know, he's he's in shape. He's, you know, hitting mitts. And not just hitting mitts with anyone. He's hitting mitts with Rafael Cordero, who's one of the top striking uh, coaches in the sport of MMA. He's actually uh, Kelvin Gastelum's uh, striking coach. So I kind of just put it out there, Simon, on Twitter. I, I put out a, a poll, like, like I tend to do every now, once in a while. And I said, do you want to see Mike Tyson return to the boxing ring? Got over 9,000 votes. 37% said yes. And 63% said no. So while it was obviously the majority in favour of not wanting him to see him come back, it wasn't exactly a landslide either. There still it seems to be an appetite uh, to see him compete in one way, shape, or form, and then when I started to scan through the comment section, it was, and this is where I kind of kind of come in. It was, we don't want to see him take on the Deontay Wilders or the Tyson Furies or the Anthony Joshuas of the world in a, in a ten or twelve round professional boxing match. However, we wouldn't perhaps mind seeing him in a in a three or four round exhibition bout uh, against someone of the same age, maybe a Shannon Briggs or what have you. And then I started to think to myself, well, look, I don't personally think Mike Tyson should be fighting at any level, whether it's, 
a 12 rounder or, or, or an exhibition belt. But if you tell me Mike Tyson is going to be fighting, you're going to get my attention. You're going to get my money if it's on pay-per-view because Mike Tyson is still Mike Tyson. He still moves a needle whether you like it or you don't. Um, but that's my take on it, Simon. Uh, I don't think he should be fighting, but I'm, I'm definitely going to pay attention to this as it, as it evolves and it grows. And look, we're, we're, we're in times during this pandemic where people want live sport. People want something to tune in for. Uh, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a, a major lack in sports and, and blockbuster pay-per-view attractions. Mike Tyson definitely you know, checks that box in terms of getting people excited and It'll be interesting to see where this kind of leads to eventually. But um, but yeah, that, that's my take on it, Simon. I thought it was a fantastic social clip. But does it have legs? That's the question. It's got legs because it's going to happen. Um, there's too much money in it for it, to, for it not to happen. He said he wants to fight four-round exhibition fights. Um, and um, I think the biggest problem is going to be finding someone insane enough to get in the ring with him, um, even at 53. And the fight has to be interesting enough. I think Mike Tyson versus Joe Schmo. Okay, maybe people might want to watch that. But I think, you know, the name you threw up was the exact name that I think is absolutely prime candidate for this. And that's Shannon the Cannon Briggs. Uh, because Shannon Briggs is an absolute lunatic. Um, and, uh, you know, he's um, he's, he's a he's a former former heavyweight champ. He's He's been in the sport a long time. Still, kind of active within the sport. Um, infamously, was part was part of Logan Paul's entourage uh, when when Logan Paul fought KSI, walking around shouting "Let's go, champ!" every five seconds. That wasn't annoying. Um, and uh, but Shannon Shannon Briggs can, you know, he's he's of a an equivalent age. I think you could throw him in there. But yeah, it's not a long term solution, is it? But um, it's interesting. Like Rafael Cordero. Actually, it's like seven years younger than Tyson for a start. Um, and uh, ESPN asked him about the experience of holding mitts for Tyson because he's held mitts for a lot of guys, uh, a lot of elite level guys as well. And uh, just, just pulling a quote here, he said, when, when I hold the mitts, I like to hold them close to my face with all my fighters. The first time I saw his right hook, I saw all my life flash before my eyes. My wife, my daughters, my dog. I saw, I saw everything. I thought I was going to die. So that's that's what fighting Tyson does. Um, and uh, I think I read somewhere that Tyson said he wants to he wants to do it and raise money for charity. So if that's the case, um, and he's not put in in there with a complete bum. Or he's also not put in there with a guy who's going to light him up like a Christmas tree, then I don't see a problem with it. As long as they're healthy, then I don't see a problem with it. Um, but it's not a long term thing, is it? But I think, as you say, I mean, you know, the world is the world is desperate for for anything right now. Like ESPN, I think was showing. I mean, I think they're showing reruns of hot dog eating contests and and other random spot. They're probably showing like cornhole and stuff like that, and God knows what. I, I, um, Temping bowling and things like this. We need some, we need some proper sport. Mike Tyson is not you know it's it's kind of exhibition stuff. I wouldn't mind watching it, but yeah, I do think it will happen though. I do, I honestly think it will happen if he wants it to happen. He uh, there's there's too much money in it, and someone like DeZone could pick it up. 
someone um you know one of the major boxing promoters would definitely definitely get involved in it i think um and uh we, you know we'll see it we'll see it on a fight card somewhere it'll be chief supporting actor something else or maybe that'll be the main event and a, a a lesser known world champion may defend their world title um as 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 the co-main event but um yeah crazy crazy fighters just don't know when to quit do they no and uh, i think this has got legs and i'm in the same camp as you simon i think it's going to happen what it looks like where it takes place the opponent all of that i have no idea but just seeing him get back into shape and that social clip was on purpose and and i think it was to kind of just see what kind of reaction to get online it got an incredibly big reaction online and so again it's just all you know all these kind of questions have started to surface again and going back to what you just said simon in terms of the world is starving for sport it, it kind of brings me back full circle to the ufc and this weekend i think the entire sports world is looking at the ufc who are really the first major sport back and not just back with one event but to hold three events in a week Dana White just announced today they're going back to Vegas in May uh, with a card. The the, the, the UFC train is chugging along again. um, And I think a lot of other sports are going to look to see what lessons they can take away from the UFC exercise and see what they can implement to try and bring their respective sport back. So interesting times, unprecedented times. uh, But I'm glad that we're actually here to talk about, in our sport anyway, uh, a fight card this Saturday. So we are obviously grateful uh, for the response we've had so far uh, from everyone that's been kind of listening, subscribing, commenting and reaching out to us. And especially since we brought the pod back, you know, this has been a long time coming for both me and Simon. Uh, and we're glad to be able to deliver this uh, show for you guys. And, and and you know what? I think we might be bringing back multiple episodes uh, per week. We're going to try and uh, squeeze in uh, a little post show for you guys on sunday so uh, stick around and maybe pay attention to our social media feeds if uh, we end up dropping that but that's the the plan as of as of right now to to have a quick little 15 20 minute chat on sunday just to dissect what happens on saturday night would of course love for you guys to be part of what we're doing as we kind of take this thing forward and start to kind of blow it up uh, so here's a few ways that you guys can help us number one get on the list and that is our Substack. Uh, subscribe to the brit pack via the website which is the britpack.substack.com and get ready to lend your opinion to the podcast pretty soon because you're going to be able to chat with us and you're going to be able to share your views and suggestions about the show and you'll be able to you know plug in your opinions uh, via the actual Substack itself and share your thoughts on the big stories and the big fights you can follow us on social media, uh, we are the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter. Simon Head is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA on all social media platforms. And please, 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 if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor when you finish listening to today's episode. Go ahead, give us a rating. Five stars would be much appreciated. Uh, And if you can, take 30 seconds out and drop us a little review. That really helps us uh, go a long way on the Apple platform. And and be like our guy, Razdude, who dropped us a five-star review. And he says, 
Great podcast. The conversation is laid back and chill. Something we all need during these hard times to get our MMA fix. Great stuff, guys. Keep it up. Nice one, Raz Dude. Much appreciated. And hey, look, if you drop a review on Apple, maybe we'll read it out. There you go. Yeah, appreciate everybody for uh, for everything everything they've done so far. Subscribing, following, dropping messages. I've had a few a few uh, a few DMs from people saying that they you know they're, they're they're glad the show's back. So really do appreciate it. Um, and as as you mentioned there, Sandy, we're going to try and drop a few little bonus shows in along the way. We're going to do our regular Tuesday night record, so that will normally come out late Tuesday night or at some time on Wednesday. Uh, we'll do that each week, but we'll also try and put out some uh, some post-fight content when we can. This week's a bit of a fun one because we've got three three events virtually in the space of a week. So we've got Saturday night this week. Um, so obviously we've got the fight nights. Saturday night, Wednesday night, Saturday night. We'll do our best to try and put out some post-fight content as best we can after each of those. Um, I think if we can get that rolling... Um, it might be a short show, but Sandy said 15, 20 minutes. I said 20 minutes to him earlier before we came on here. You know what's likely to happen. It'll probably be another hour. But we'll, 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 <laughs> this is this is this is what happens when we start talking about fights. You look at the clock and go, God, we've been on for an hour already. But um, yeah, we just love talking fights and hopefully you guys enjoy listening and uh, we'll get you guys involved very soon uh, as we start to grow this thing in, in the coming weeks and months. That wraps everything up um, with a nice bow as we get ready for UFC 249. All that's left now, get the beers in, get the snacks in, get your space booked in front of the telly and uh, sit down and enjoy the fights with us on Saturday night and we'll come back on Sunday and uh, and share our takeaways from it uh, in our little post-fight bonus. Thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll speak to you in a few days' time. Yeah.